it's completely subversive in that it uses the more attractive man in a way that is absolutely monstrous. I know you got the self-mutilation thing going on. You know what? I'm okay with it because you're okay with it and you're kind of accepting of other people. She chain smokes and she slaps kids. I love that. <laughs> Today we are going to answer that age-old question, do blondes really have more fun? And I and I think we know the answer. We've got we've got a blonde, we've got a redhead, and we've got a whitehead here uh, <laughs> assembled. So this this should be good. Welcome. This is the Fright Club podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we are from madwolf.com. And we've got a special guest. We're going to talk about blondes in horror movies, an obvious special guest, and we'll get to her in just a minute, but we wanted to say thanks for all the feedback last time as we counted down our favorites of the year so far in horror, and we found some good ones, a couple of them, maybe some hidden gems, but we didn't get a lot of pushback, so usually that means, I guess, we picked some good ones? I actually think it might mean that people were surprised that there were so many good movies, well, because, yeah. you know, it's not like you have the box office to go by or anything, so that was useful, and I think um, one of the things to bring up Somehow, not really related to that particular episode, is that Old Man Spencer volunteered to co-host a podcast with us on remakes that are better than the original. That'll be a short podcast. Yeah, it's one and a half, actually. <laughs> there's one that's better, and there's one that's about break-even. But the reason he's volunteering is because he's he's gone on record to say that the um, Jessica Beale version of Texas Chainsaw Massacre is better than the Toby Hooper version. <laughs> so our you response is not no. without a court order. Immediately when you said that, I just thought of um, Aretha Franklin and the Blues Brothers. <laughs> Don't you blaspheme in here! <laughs> <laughs> I'll come at you with that mess. That's right. But thanks for the offer. Oh, <laughs> uh, so that no, that's good. We always love to hear from them and love to hear from everybody. So yeah, now we look ahead to the second half of this horrible year. <laughs> it's like we're all just kind of hoping that it gets over with, but so we'll see what the second half brings. And then obviously at the end of the year we'll count them down, uh, you know, our 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 total top 10 of the year but that's getting ahead of ourselves today we are talking about blondes blondes in horror movies and our favorite and it's it's an obvious choice for our special guest because we welcome in the blonde in front katie glidewell joins us welcome thank you guys so much i'm so happy to be here and so happy to hear your voices again because i haven't seen you guys since october of 2019 i know i know like a decade ago nightmares film festival yes yeah. such a great time i know we're we're missing that as well well this is good this will be fun because it's a little bit of a break from what we normally do we normally count down specific movies but we have taken a break over the years and done specific characters so this is good i like that we're going to take this opportunity to just pick out some special characters from movies yeah, well, we did, uh, which is what we usually do, you know, when we, we um, invite a guest and then I, I throw out some potential topics and then all of a sudden I'm like, no, no, this is the topic. <laughs> and uh, her response was, oh, I'm all about that. So it does yeah. seem kind of perfect. <laughs> well, I'm not going to pretend like I had anything to do with any of these picks, but that's fine. It's just the usual. <laughs> um, so you got six guy blondes and six girl blondes, mm-hmm. right? So that's how we'll do it. Mm-hmm. So we'll just start with the dudes, all right? We'll start with dude blondes. And this is good. I like this pick right away. Not only because I like the the movie, I like the character, but I love the name. It's Francis Dollarhide, played by Tom Noonan in 1986's Manhunter. Is your nature to do one thing correctly? Tremble. No else. You and the others. You owe me all. 
Francis Dollarhide, I remember watching this during those cable staple days of HBO, and he has ingrained a part of my soul of fright. I mean, only Tom Noonan can have that juxtaposition of so innocent and sweet to the complete monster of your nightmares, especially with that piece of half pantyhose on his face. And God, and plus he's so tall, but he's actually such an amazing, uh, intelligent and kind guy that to see him play this role is it's had to be one of my top five guys. It's, it was not a question. He's somebody that I just think there's no one else that could play dollar hide like this. Yeah, I agree with you. Tom Newton really brings that sort of that gentle quality that is somehow also creepy. And I think it's because he's physically so unusual looking that he can do both. But it's the same thing in his little, in his really short span in the movie Wolfen. And then when he plays Frankenstein, he's the perfect Frankenstein in Monster Squad. He's just so ideal. And mm-hmm. um, I agree with you. Those were big shoes to fill when they remade this movie because he's absolutely perfect. You feel so sorry for him, but you don't want to be in the same room with him because he's utterly terrifying. Yeah. And I think what they did in Red Dragon, they actually gave more of a backstory of what Dollar Hide's about, which you didn't have in Manhunter. But that's one of the things that Noonan, like, we didn't know the backstory that much in Manhunter. And yet you could feel that this is someone who had been abused and then has to, like, he was made into a monster. He wasn't created that way. And it's like you kind of feel sorry for him at the same time. Yeah, no, you do not want to be in the same room with him. Yeah, and it it adds a layer because he looks so unusual and he is so big the fact that Joan Allen's character is blind and can't see him just adds an extra layer of we know something that she doesn't yeah mm-hmm. yeah exactly mm-hmm. and also if we're talking about Tom Noonan this is where I have to say anyone who hasn't seen Anomalisa uh, should see it it's, it's not a horror movie but he voices every character and it's great <laughs> yes so good so good <laughs> so number six on our favorite blondes the male variety uh, tom noonan's francis dollarhide for manhunter number five this is one we like this because this is a classic film this is one of our classics that we showed at fright club live last year i think maybe this is from 1960 the character of mark lewis played by carl bohm in peeping tom i made them watch their own deaths. I made them see their own terror as the spike went in. And if death has a face, they saw that too. Yeah, here's another guy that doesn't seem sinister as the movie goes along, uh, but you find out he's got some, he's got some backstory, he's got some interests that uh, come to fruition later in the movie. And it's I was really glad to see when we did show this to a, a theater full of people that a lot of have not seen it. They really enjoyed it, even from coming to it from a today's sort of sensibilities back to a movie in 1960. Yeah, it's funny. One day we are going to do a podcast on sympathetic psychopaths, and he's definitely <laughs> going to be on that list. because. And I think that we'll see this also as we get more into the females, that sometimes casting a blonde or making them become a blonde for a film, I think that's sometimes done intentionally to sort Sort of represent innocence that isn't really there or won't still be there by the end of the film. I think a lot of times you'll also get sort of the blonde bombshell type like Angie Dickinson 
right, in Dress to Kill. But I also think that sometimes the, the concept of a blonde is used to suggest innocence. And I definitely think maybe the only one in this particular, in the, in the male category, I think that Carl Baum does that. I agree. I feel like in films, it's either the Madonna or the whore, especially in horror films. It's like you either get the supreme bitch or the supreme version um, that ends up being the final girl in horror films. And that's one of the things with blondes that, you know, why we have a lot more fun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and if you're going to go back and, uh, and look this up and haven't seen it, pay attention to when he goes in the corner store. Uh, the stuff they're selling. Look in the background of the stuff. Like, wow, 1960 was progressive, I guess, going on back there. But that's another story. That is number five, Mark Lewis from Peeping Tom on our guy blondes in horror movies. Moving up to number four, a classic from 2001, the character of Kakihara, played by Tadanabu Asanu from Ichi the Killer. This is one of my all-time favorite. I don't even want to call him the villain. He's not, in fact, the villain of this movie. He's kind of, in a weird way, the hero, at least the anti-hero. Anyway, what he is is awesome. It's always interesting if you're watching a Japanese film and one of the characters is bleach blonde. You know, it's like, obviously, this is where your eye is going to go every time. Not that you could miss him because of the Glasgow smile that he's got just pinned together with, like, earrings in his face. This is the greatest. He's such an incredible presence in this movie. And I love that at the beginning, he's terrifying to you. And then Ichi is this just little gentle childlike presence. And then as the movie progresses, you're like, I would rather ride home with Katihara. I just feel like I have a better sense of, of getting home alive with Katihara. So I just think that, um, I mean, I love everything that Takashi Miike really ever does. But I think that the juxtaposition of these two characters is so fascinating, so fascinating to me that they're both males because I don't think it would be unusual to have similar types of characters, maybe not with the same predilections, but similar types of characters played by females in other movies. But in this case, the way that he kind of plays on the idea of blonde versus brunette, innocent versus seductive in this film with these two different um, characters. And then, of course, where it goes with that is fascinating. So while you were talking, I'm just nodding my head um, the entire (laughs) time, everything you're saying. I actually watched this for the first time yesterday uh, because I knew this was going to be on the list. And wow, do I feel like I've missed out on years of this character. One, he's got the bleach blonde, but two, the wardrobe is like, where do you go? I want to be your friend. I know you got the self-mutilation <laughs> thing going on. You know what? I'm okay with it because you're okay with it. And you're kind of accepting of other people. And yeah, I didn't know who was each of the killer. I thought for I thought at first it was him. And then when I was wa- realizing and reading the subtitles, like, oh, wait, so this isn't each. I'm like, oh, no, you actually kind of are the anti-hero good guy. Wow. I'm loving you, buddy. Like, let's do this. <laughs> Yeah, this is fantastic, and it's by one of our favorite filmmakers, Takashi Miike, who, in the time that we've been talking, has made three movies. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and they've all been, like, two days long. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) Yeah, Itchy the Killer. Always love to talk about that from 2001. And that takes us up to number three on the Guy Blondes in Horror from the original Pet Cemetery in 1989, Miko Hughes. You know we had to give some love for little Gage. No fear. 
Miko, to me, this is probably my number one, besides Heather O'Rourke as Carol Ann in Poltergeist, this is my number one child performance in a horror film. One, he was barely two and a half when he made this. Yeah. It was only him. The girl that played his older sister, I did not realize until later, was twins, which it's like, bam, you had a two and a half year old playing this by himself. And I mean... Every single scene that he's in just captivates me. It's like he's got this beautiful innocence about him. And then he turns like total birth control pill to me. Um, It's like, (laughs) no, I do not want kids after watching that. But he's also so sweet. And, you know, when he meets his demise, it's like it's like, you know, the audience is thinking, too, it's not fair. It's not fair. No fair. And oh, God, it's so good. Yeah, I think um, that line, no fair, that's that's to me maybe a size of, you know, sometimes dead is better. That's the greatest <laughs> line in the whole movie, the no fair. It's such an appropriate way for this child to be put down like that's he was playing and now he's not. And he is he does a really good job as being a little devil. I mean, it's, but yeah, the early scene, the scene with the truck. It's funny. I saw this with the woman I used to babysit for. We went to see this in theaters. And I thought everybody knew it was going to happen because I it was a book already. Like, it just didn't uh-huh. occur to me. She didn't know that this kid was going to get run down by a truck. And <laughs> she was so mad at me. <laughs> um, but it is. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. And we did a podcast a couple of episodes ago on grief. And we somehow managed to forget to talk about Pet Cemetery, which is crazy because that's what drives the whole conflict in this movie. Yeah. But he's, yeah. And, and I love that you bring up, bring up Carol Ann because she is sort of the counterpart. You have these children in jeopardy, and when you watch it the first time when you're a kid, that's who you associate yourself with. When you watch it a second time as an adult, your heart just breaks because you you associate with the adults in the film and how horrible it is to watch something like this happen to children. And um, I don't think that it's a surprise, again, for the sort of innocence quotient that they are both blonde. I agree. And, And while we're talking about this, I have to give credit to whoever it was it came up with that hilarious meme that on one side had a lawyer's <laughs> ad that said hurt by a truck and on the other side had gage. I know that's bad, but I laughed so hard the first time I saw that. <laughs> well, and I mean, gauges, I mean, the meme this year with gauge um, on, you know, in his little overalls and stuff, it's like my plans and then the truck being yeah. 2020. If, <laughs> yeah. you wanna, if you haven't seen that, that basically is yeah that pretty much is the perfect meme for this year he's he's the character gift that just keeps on giving that is gage (laughs) number three on our guy blondes from the original pet cemetery oh wow so shocked that this character is on a a podcast for hope to talk about from the lost boys that one of us (laughs) loves so much uh from 1987 Kiefer sutherland as david michael over here michael You don't want to miss this. (laughs) So I wanted to say, one of the things that we don't usually do on this is just smash together the lists of the guest and and us. Uh, It's it's really, really... Actually, I think I've maybe only done it one other time. But Katie and I had a really similar guy list and a completely different female list. So we we just smooshed them together because George is opposed to having a three and a half hour podcast. So we had to do something. Um, but the number two and number one were both, I think, number two and number one for the two of us. And I think it's because we're about the same age and because they really, they really moved us the first time we saw these movies. And certainly Kiefer Sutherland playing 
a vampire in The Lost Boys. So not just any vampire, but like a rock star vampire with a gen. Should I, should I like leave the room and you guys could have <laughs> some time? It was just... I mean, it wasn't just him. The you know, almost all of the vampires, and certainly Jason Patrick. I mean, this was just a movie full of the hottest guys ever. But it did. It you know, I don't think I had a thing for Kiefer Sutherland before I saw this movie. And regardless of the fact that I have not really been a fan of anything he's made ever since then, the the flame it it, it stayed with me for a while. Oh, I'm right there with you. And you know what? It's with Lost Boys, as in any Joel Schumacher film. Pretty is going to be one of the first words to describe it. Everything about that. I mean, the saxophone player, every character in there, the wardrobe, the poster of Rob Lowe, for some reason, um, (laughs) on Corey James, inside of his closet. Don't understand that, but, you know, whatever. But Kiefer Sutherland. I think we do. I think we do. Yeah, I think we do, too. I think we do, too. Uh, But Kiefer Sutherland, yeah. If that didn't introduce me to bad boys and at least cement my love for bad boys. I honestly don't know what did. I know he was in uh, Stand By Me. Wasn't that attracted to him in that? Uh, maybe it's more the mullets, more, uh, you know, the longer <laughs> earring and the trench coat that really got me going. They walked into a VHS store uh, again. You know, it just keeps going. And just his little, uh, he just has that snarl. And yeah, if there's definitely things that are moving in me right now talking about it. Uh, the movie is just so 80s. It's so gloriously, garishly, perfectly 80s. And I think one of the reasons that it works as well as it does is that Joel Schumacher really, there is a, a tremendous sort of lovely homoeroticism about the whole film. And, and that's not uncommon in vampire movies. But I yeah. think that the way it plays out here being there and also being rugged and bad boy-esque was just a nice change of pace, probably because instead of being inserted by heterosexual filmmakers, it was a gay filmmaker making the movie he wanted to see. And it turns out, so did every teenage girl in the world. And just look how look how much it was referenced by Jordan Peele uh, in Us. So that's, you know, you get some love right there. That's, that's high praise. So that is David Kiefer Sutherland from The Lost Boys. Number two on the guy blondes in horror list, making way for only one at the top. And here's another one. This is one, a guy that when we first started dating, I was like, really? You got a thing for this dude? But oh. okay. Uh, from the Hitcher, 1986, Rutger Hauer's John Ryder. Why are you doing this to me? You're a smart kid. Figure it out. So I saw this very young. I will admit, I don't understand. I probably did not understand the feelings that I had for Rutger Hauer. To me, he is the epitome of the sexy 80s male. He's got that swag about him. He's definitely evil, but he also is so charming and, oh my God, so good looking. And especially in The Hitcher, like when he, the, the way he taunts see Thomas Howell is one of the things that it's like it scares the crap at you and also I'm slightly turned on by it it's like because it's like okay I wish I would see Thomas Howell across uh the table from you in that diner maybe not because you also did some really scary things that they do a good job by not showing everything which I think is one of the best things about this movie this honestly the hitcher is one of my favorite it's probably in my top 10 of horror films of all time because I think they just did a beautiful job and I know they did the remake I if you want to 
talk about horrible remakes. I just, you can't get anyone besides Rugger Howard to play John Ryder. I mean, he is just fantastic in this film and I could just go on and on forever. So Hope, why don't you take it away? <laughs> well, I remember, so of course, like most people, my introduction to Rugger Howard, well, there was a lot of Madden girls and we all, all just grew up loving Harrison Ford as girls are want to do and my oldest Mm -hmm. sister had a vcr so we would rent harrison ford movies and go to her house and watch harrison ford movies and one time years after it came out we watched blade runner and the first time they showed him i think i said out loud you can have harrison ford this one's mine uh he is so beautiful and one of the things about about the hitcher is that it's completely subversive in that it uses the more attractive man in a way that is absolutely monstrous so it's not even like a vampire where, well, I mean, what else is he going to do? If he doesn't drink your blood, he's going to die. And sure, he's kind of mean about it, but still, he's got no other choice. This guy is a monster. He is going to torture and torment the nicest people, children. He's going to he's gonna stick somebody's finger in your french fries just to make sure you know the worst possible thing just happened, even though, as you said, it wasn't on camera. I think that that, that was so sort of repellent that the film was leading you to be, you were attracted to not the hero, because see Thomas Howe, you were attracted to the villain, <laughs> but the villain had no tenderness to him, had no, nothing good. He was he was vile and horrible and so hot that it was really mm-hmm. quite confusing. <laughs> yes, I agree. I mean, very, very confusing. It's like, I'm not supposed to like you, but why do I feel this way? <laughs> <laughs> so John Ryder, played by Rutger Hauer, number one on the Guy Blondes in Horror from the Hitcher, the original Hitcher, 1986. So before we move on to the the uh, women blondes, uh, let's talk to Katie. And you are the blonde in front. I've always wondered, how did you come to always sitting in the front at movies? Well, I love going to the theater. The theater is one of my favorite things, but I don't necessarily like people. Well, I like people, <laughs> but I don't like people in the theater because it's come to the point now where they don't experience the theater. Like for me, uh, the movie theater is my church. So it's like everything's silent. You don't talk to the person next to you. You pay attention to what's in front of you on the screen as a sermon. And then you leave and we all like, hey, that was nice. that We're all there together. Now people are turning it into their giant living room, which it's not. So I, the closer I am to the front, it's, you know, the less people are behind me because no one wants to sit in the front. And um, it's also helped my eyesight because I can see things um, better. And when there's a Q&A, I'm one of the first ones to get a pick or, uh, you know, a signature. So that became that. Well, that's a, those are good answers. Those make oh, total sense and good <laughs> answers. And you're based in Chicago and you cover movies and you go to a lot of premieres. Actually, you go to a lot, a lot of uh, film festivals as well. Yes, I did. I've, um, I've been going to a lot of film festivals. Not so much now uh, this year. <laughs> but yeah, I actually have to cancel a lot of flights that I made for the fall. But yeah, I've been very fortunate enough to get a little bit of um, a following and people have noticed my work and stuff. And I do my one minute movie reviews, you know, just trying to sum it up really quick. And then recently I was asked to join the Chicago Independent Critics. So I'm now a part of that. All right. Congrats. Thank good, you. Good stuff. So that was the, why uh, she was the perfect guest here as we talked about Blonde. So we've gone through, <laughs> yeah, so we've gone through the guys list. Let's turn our attention to our favorite blonde women in horror. You know, before we do that, let's just give one minute to the film made twice. That's basically entire cast is blonde. And that, of course, is Village of the Damned, which was so great when they when the 1960 version, the original version is so great 
And then because it, it's a British film, but it was made by German filmmakers. And so it clearly was kind of metaphorical for the rise of uh, the Aryan concepts and, and in Germany and had a real creepy quality about it. So that's why John Carpenter was the perfect person to revisit the same concepts in 1995 because he has such a similar sort of view on the world. And it didn't work as well as the original, but I still think the that image of just child after child after child with those blue eyes and blonde hair just staring at you is incredibly creepy. Yes, that's another one of my top five uh, birth control films that I... <laughs> So, yeah, and I watched, I remember watching the original, you know, late night with my dad or Saturday afternoon on one of the rerun shows and thinking like, yeah, so maybe you guys won't have grandchildren, but we have my sister. So go for that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I understand why. If we're going to talk about blondes and horror, you got to talk about that movie, at least give it a nod. So, so well done as we do move into the women blondes in horror and this one i admit i was today years old when i learned the last name of this character from (laughs) from carrie 1976 chris hargison played by nancy allen i guess you can take your pick chris who's the lucky guy billy nolan who billy nolan i'm sorry i can't hear you could you speak up billy nolan well isn't he the lucky one she made my list because I know you have the quintessential people in horror. Chris Harkinson to me, it's like if she had not been such a supreme bitch in trying to make Carrie's White absolute hell, honestly, that whole film would not have happened. If they just would have been very nice to her when she was Carrie, when she was freaking out in the bathroom and said, hey, it's OK. It's a woman thing. You know what? Everything would have been fine. But it's like because she had to be she was kind of the teenage. What is it? Becky. She's a teenage Becky of 1974, Mm -hmm. 76, which Mm -hmm. is the younger version of Karen. She just kept going and going. It's like, girl, let it go. And I mean, you know, the pig's blood. That was all Chris. If that hadn't happened, the whole high school would have been alive. And actually, I blame Chris because of that and not Carrie. I actually blame Sue Snell. Um, <laughs> because, you know, it's funny. I think the, the, this is the pinnacle of mean girl cinema. Carrie is, and you're right. Chris Hargison is the pinnacle mean girl. And if she's not, like you said, if she can't carry that to the degree that she does, the whole movie falls apart. And I think it's interesting. She's a blonde. And then Sue Snell, Amy Irving, she's a brunette. And she plays the nice one who's going to give up her own prom date to make things work out for poor Carrie. And then you've got Carrie, who's a blonde, who goes from innocent to evil during the course of the film, which I think is really fascinating. But one of the things I think I'm disheartened to say that I think the core thing the core thesis of this film is don't be nice to the outsider. It doesn't serve you well. Then they just kill everybody. (laughs) That is true. That is true. (laughs) And when we finally do our podcast on our favorite gym teachers in horror, (laughs) I'll tell you who's going to be number one, Betty Buckley, because she chain smokes and she slaps kids. I love that. (laughs) So Chris from Carrie, number six. On our female blondes in horror, oh man, number five, definitely one of our favorites. We just watched this like two nights ago, again. From 2015's The Witch, Anya Taylor-Joy as Thomason. She placed a curse on me! Why have you turned against me? I saw it. The reign of evil! It's not safe, not with them! 
This is another one that I think, first of all, it's just a, a nearly perfect movie. And her performance is just remarkable. And you notice her big giant eyes long before you notice that long blonde hair. She's such a striking physical presence. And she does look like just the picture of innocence, even though the first thing she's doing is asking for forgiveness for her sins and saying that she's broken all commandments either in spirit or in body, which is fascinating. It's a fascinating way to set up that movie. You know, the rest of the characters, all all of which are great, they have kind of this muddy coloring about them, right? None of them is a blonde. None of them really has dark hair. It's all sort of muddy in between. And she just stands out as this kind of lit from within beacon to something, you know, and that's what I think is is really interesting in the way the film is set up is that she is a beacon, but what she's drawing to her is no, it's not good stuff. I couldn't agree more. One, I think Anya Taylor-Joy is just a force to be reckoned with. I think whatever film she is in, Mm -hmm. even if she's not the lead, like her performance is just unforgettable. I know she went from the witch to being blonde. And then I think she shaved her head to do Morgan and then glass and thoroughbred. She was a brunette, but now with the new mutants, she's going back to blonde. And I honestly can't wait to see that. I mean, in the witch, she had so much to deal with. She had her parents going nuts. She has a little bit of a ancestral thing going on with her brother, not on her end, more on the brother's end. (laughs) And then the fact that she, you know, the baby that she was watching got taken by a witch. Sorry, spoiler for a five-year movie. Yeah, I just, she's an absolute, she's one of my favorite actresses right now. Agreed. And I was glad to see her. She has a small part in the new Radioactive that just came out this week as she plays uh, Marie Curie's oldest daughter, uh, about the third, uh, last third of the film, and she's great in that. Yeah, I totally agree. We, we love her. From The Witch, Thomason, number five on our female blondes in horror, moving up to number four. This has got to be the one that has the least amount of screen time. Uh, this is from Scream in 1996, Drew Barrymore's Casey. Hello? I'm sorry. I guess I dialed the wrong number. Uh, so why'd you dial it again? To apologize. You're forgiven. Bye now. Wait, wait. Don't hang up. What? I want to talk to you for a second. They've got 900 numbers for that. See ya. I picked Casey because this is where I feel like uh, horror really took a turn. This, to me, Scream was like the Game of Thrones of horror movies at the time, where, hey, you know what? All bets are off. You don't know who's going to make it and who's not. She had that opening scene Her blonde hair was monumental. I still know people who uh, cosplay her for Halloween, (laughs) and she's fantastic. And it got the whole thing going with one of my other uh, favorites, uh, Blondes, that's going to come up next. But Drew Barrymore just did a fantastic job. And I think as someone, um, when I was asking about Blondes on this, one of my friends said actually that because Drew Barrymore and Casey playing Casey, she made being in horror hip. And that, you know, put a big twist on it. Yeah, that's a really good point, because as many people that were in this movie, Drew Barrymore, big star. And when you saw her in that opening part, which was very cool and scary and effective, and the fact that she doesn't make it, you're like, oh, 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 wait a minute now. (laughs) I thought she was going to be in this whole movie. So it does. It sort of resets your expectations. You don't know what's going to happen. I think actually, you know, uh, Wes Craven, I think, reinvented horror three different times, maybe four, but definitely three different times in his career. And one of the things he does each time in The Hills Have Eyes in Nightmare on Elm Street and in this is that he completely upends your expectations. He changes the way, even in this movie, even though the the whole point of the movie is to expose horror tropes, 
he, what he still does is subvert them to the degree that you can't predict what's going to happen next, which is one of the reasons why he was all one of the all-time greats. Agreed. He was amazing. And that is number four, Casey from Scream on our female blondes and horror list. And moving up to number three, this would be our classic on the female side from 1965's Repulsion, the great Catherine Deneuve's Carol. Poor little girl. All by herself. All shaking like a little frightened animal. You know, and I hate to include Roman Polanski ever in anything, but this is just a hell of a movie and, and an insane performance. And again, I think that it's it's it wouldn't have worked with that. Well, it wouldn't have worked without Deneuve, but it wouldn't have worked without a blonde. Everything that this character represents, everything that's being sort of perverted by the end of the film, it's kind of required that this character be a blonde. And it's it's interesting, though, because, Katie, on your list, she came up also in The Hunger. Yeah, I love her in The Hunger. So what do you think, Katie, what do you think it is about Deneuve that is so powerful? I think it's just her style and grace and this just, she has that face that, like, Helen of Troy, that could launch a thousand ships. It's like you're just fixated on her. And I know in Repulsion, it's like she's so innocent. And then in The Hunger, which I absolutely love, she's just so powerful as this leader of the vampire marrying and betrothing or whatever you call it with David Bowie. And then also mesmerizing and engulfing Susan Sarandon into her web of her life as a vampire. For me, I think Catherine Deneuve in The Hunger was the perfect person to be that character as a vampire because there's just something about her that is just absolutely, like I said, mesmerizing. Yeah, I agree with you. I think in both of those roles, the fact that she's sort of otherworldly attractive, you can't take Mm -hmm. your eyes off her. I think that that's an important characteristic for both of those characters. But I think if we're going to talk about hot blonde vampires, we should spend just a second talking about Tilda Swinton and Only Lovers Left Alive. And I know she made your original list, so you you take it. Well, and I mean, you actually took the words right out of my mouth. You want to talk otherworldly? It is Tilda Swinton. She, to me is such an amazing chameleon of what she can do. And as Eve in Only Lovers Left Alive, she ha- you know she's a vampire. You know, I mean, she kills people. She drinks their blood. But she, again, has that ivory face that is just, it just draws you in, which I know is supposed to be what a vampire is. But again, it's very hard to do that without making it comical. And she does it beautifully. And Tilda Swinton is, to me, one of my all-time favorite actresses, no matter what she does. Like, I don't honestly think there's anything she cannot do. She's a god. We say it all the time. (laughs) The Tilda. We call her the Tilda. Uh, no doubt, one of our favorites. So we're up to the top two now for female blondes in horror. Uh, another boy, this is an all-timer, from the original Friday the 13th in 1980. Betsy Palmer as Pamela Voorhees, just a loving mother. You see, Jason was my son, and today is his birthday. Where's Mr. Christie? Oh, I couldn't let them open this place again. Could I? Not after what happened. She is my number one because, and I've said this to a few people, I consider her the OG Karen of horror. Like (laughs) she had a problem. It actually, she took care of the problem. And then she took care of the camp counselors that weren't paying attention to her kid. Her kid actually did survive because they made three other movies where he's living. But she went and killed the rest of those camp counselors any way she could. Wearing two sweaters on June 
13. Yeah. Uh, I mean, she had it in her mind that she was dead set against this happening. She wanted to talk to the manager. She did. She killed the manager. <laughs> and yeah, I think Betsy Palmer, I honestly would like to see a prequel of Friday the 13th with Pamela Voorhees to see how this happened, like what happened with her life. Because this is a, she, she's a lot for a woman who, I mean, bow and arrow, axe, rope, knife, butcher knife, yeah. machete, like, and she and she obviously kept fit because she was strong enough to hold Kevin Bacon down by his forehead. You know that's that takes some strength. Yeah, and while everyone else is wearing shorts and um, uh, short sleeve shirts or even just underwear, she's this chick had two sweaters on. Yeah. Like, what are you doing, lady? I know maybe it's menopause. I don't know, <laughs> but it's like whatever it was. Damn, Pam, you got it going. Although, I mean, you kind of. You, you killed the two kids who killed your son. I mean, that were responsible for your son. So I think you kind of made your point. So, again, I consider her the OG Karen of horror. Yeah, that's that's the greatest phrase. And it is so perfect. And I think that, you know, uh, when they made the film, having it be Betsy Palmer, y- you were immediately just like the, the, the people at the camp. You're like, oh, thank God. Like, oh, thank God, there's an adult here. She's going to take care of things. She just had that air about her, like, I'm taking care of it. Don't even worry. <laughs> you know, give me a hug. Everything's fine. It was such... A genius idea, first of all, to have it be a mom, but then to to cast her as that mom because she's also not like frail and delicate. She's a, she's a hearty soul, and you think I don't know that those were her hairy hands that were holding yeah. Kevin Bacon down, but still, I feel like she probably is physically capable of a lot of what went on in this film, and certainly she's not going to catch a chill. So that's good news. No, she was a, a great genius pick. She was fantastic, and. I feel like she always gets overlooked. That's why another reason why I love Scream because I feel like Wes Craven. It's like let's give let's give Pamela Voorhees the credit she deserves. She's the one who actually killed all those people in Friday the Thirteenth, and I feel like she is overlooked a lot of the times because it's always Jason, Jason, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> well, not overlooked here, not at all. Number yeah. two on our list of female blondes in horror, and at the top, boy, you you might have guessed this from the beginning, but. We held the best for last. Again, from 1976's Carrie Sissy, Spacek, and Carrie White. His name's Tommy Ross, and he's a very nice boy, Mom. No. And he promised to stop him and leave you before an Emmy and my men. Mom, I'm no, accepted, no, Mama. No, no, no. I'm accepted, Mama. I'm accepted. Come to your closet. No. After all you've been taught, Everyone in bad, Mama. Everything in the sin. Come to your closet and pray. Ask to be forgiven. He's a nice boy, Mom. You like him. You really like him, Mama. It's so funny for me to think that Sissy Spacek was in her 20s when she made this movie because she was absolutely convincing as the completely just shell-shocked, hyper-protected, no-idea-what's-going-on 17-year-old girl. She was so brilliant in this movie. And as we've said, you know, throughout this, the fact that she does have, you know, long blonde hair and she looks, it, it, it aids in her innocent look, which De Palma takes full advantage of from the beginning of the film to the end of the film. It's not just you're tricked into believing she's an innocent. She truly, deeply is an innocent, and she's just going to be cracked by the end of the film, by the evil that is around her, and not just horrible high school kids, but also her completely demented mother, who's a brunette, by the way. And De Palma, throughout all of his movies, he definitely uses, just as Hitchcock did, I mean, he's he's fixated on the look of the female characters and their hair and their styles and everything like that, which is when we talked a little bit earlier about Chris Hargison, the way I feel like he specifically positioned 
the blonde bombshell, the brunette good girl, and then and then Carrie, who starts off an innocent and is, and is corrupted by the end. But I feel like the fact that Piper Laurie, who wasn't naturally a brunette, is a brunette in this movie, is part of that whole overall aesthetic. I agree. I mean, with Sissy Spacek, I mean, she got nominated for an Oscar for this film. So for a horror film to be nominated, and like, and Piper Laurie got nominated yeah. for an Oscar for this film. And it's this film would not have been the same without those two women's performances because you've got the physical and verbal abuse that Carrie receives not only in high school, but then when she gets home too, she's just trying to figure out what is going on. And it's the embarrassment. It's the shame of not realizing like what basic things are as a woman. And then just to try to fit in, even at the age she is, I mean, it is surprising that she has absolutely no friends whatsoever, even like um, an imaginary friend or one friend in high school, but apparently she didn't, even though she's lived there all her life. But for people to actually be talking to her after she has one of the most horrific experiences of a young girl's life, and then for the prom, I mean, look, if I had those powers, I probably would have done the same thing. I mean, especially, I mean, you know, having a psychotic break when you've got tele pathic powers and then also like social issues you're gonna there's gonna be some carnage and i'll in there obviously is in that film and i honestly i think i root for carrie yeah i was gonna say she she did the town a favor she really did yeah because it's one point you can't tell if people like really are laughing or if she's got it in her mind from what her mother said they're all gonna laugh at you but then when the doors start shutting and you see that people are laughing it's also why the hell are you guys laughing at someone just getting like red paint or blood spilled over them? Like that's just really just jerk store stuff. So yeah, I think you all got you guys all deserve it. And this is where I have to say that one one Halloween years ago, Hope and I won a costume contest going as Tommy and Carrie. That's right. You just seen the the blonde wig that George had on to play Tommy from the prom. It was just glorious. <laughs> nice. And the oh, fun, and remember though, remember when the the girl who was uh, announcing the winners, she said. Carrie and husband is what. <laughs> <laughs> it's Tommy. All right, so Carrie White, understandably number one on the female blondes in horror, and that is a great list. All kinds of great blondes there, as we counted them down with the blonde in front. Next time on Fright Club, Fright Club Live. We don't know at this point. We're still hoping, fingers crossed, to be back in front of a live audience at the Gateway Film Center. But regardless, we're going to talk about something more in my wheelhouse. We're going to talk about the best sound design. In horror, that is going to be cool. Yeah, it's going to be a good time. So join us on Wednesday, August the twelfth, for that one. Yeah, and uh, in the meantime, what do you think about this list of blondes? You, you think it's good? You think we left somebody out? Want to pick a bone? Let us know. You can always find us on Twitter. It's at Fright Club Pod. Also, uh, the main website where you can find all of our fun stuff is at MadWolf.com, and on Facebook and Instagram, it is MadWolfColumbus. And Katie Glidewell, the blonde in front, where can we find all your fun stuff on the Internet? You can find me on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook on the blonde in front. And then soon on Curdle TV, I will be having a live show on Mondays where I do reviews on feature shorts and interviews and news about um, horror festivals and horror cons um, coming very, very soon. That'll be on Curdle TV. Woohoo! And also my... 
feature film debut as an actress, Irrational Fear, is right now streaming on VOD, iTunes, Google Play Movies, YouTube Movies, and should be on Amazon Prime and several other VOD um, places very, very soon. So check that out and let me know what you think. Yeah, I watched the scene with the dental work. Let's put it that way. Uh, which uh, <laughs> which is always creepy. Creepy dental work is always makes you just kind of go, Ugh. so we'll check out the whole thing. But also, since we're talking movies, we have made a short horror film, and we are we're we're holding it back, hoping to debut it in the weeks ahead at Gateway Film Center if all goes well. But it's called Godspeed. Yeah, so you can't watch the short just yet, but you can certainly find the trailer, which is on MadWolf.com. So have a look, and and we are excited to get a chance to share it with people if theaters ever open. <laughs> So good stuff. We've got all kinds of movie stuff going on. Exciting. This has been fun. You brought a lot of great uh, insight, a lot of great knowledge on the characters, and you guys could probably just talk about this amongst yourselves for uh, another hour or two. But uh, <laughs> when, you, when he says, you know, let us know what we left out, you should just know that between the two of us, we had at least 45 people. We had at least 45 yeah. people. And so we had to really, really prune. So surely we left people off that you wanted to see, but be kind. Know that they probably made the long list. Is this a lot of blondes and horror? <laughs> There's so many. I mean, I actually have... Um, You've got Psycho, you've got Night of the Living Dead. I mean, there's so many blondes that we could have gone through. But yeah, I think this is a solid list, everybody. <laughs> Agreed. So many blondes. Well, thank you, Katie, the blonde in front. This has been a blast. Until next time, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Fright Club Podcast. Stay frightful, my friends.